Today we have Ryan McKenna on the show. Are you looking to diversify your portfolio? Ryan McKenna makes a point to invest in people first, then the deal. He's been a general partner in over 65 syndicated real estate transactions for over 15,000 units. And he's invested as a limited partner in over 100 deals. This guy is always looking for new ways to diversify his and his investors' portfolios. He's invested in multifamily, mobile home parks, senior living facilities, ATMs, and crypto. It all started by learning how to invest with other people's money, OPM. If you are interested in learning more about OPM investing or want some help finding good investments that fit your criteria, then listen to this episode and learn how Ryan did it. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Ryan McKenna before we start the show. Ryan played baseball in college, and that led him into real estate investing. You see, his buddy's dad was a multifamily syndicator, and Ryan picked his brain on how to get into the industry. One thing led to another, and he's now invested in over 15,000 units. Ryan has a curiosity that leads him to invest in new asset classes. And once he gets comfortable, then he brings those investment opportunities to his investors. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Ryan McKenna with us. Ryan, appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, happy to be here, Darren. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So just a little bit about how we know each other. Um, so this is actually the first time that we're going to be speaking. Um, I'm very interested in the conversation. Ryan has been in the space. He's a, you know very experienced in the space, and I see him all over social media. So interested to hear his take on the industry. Um, with that, uh, how many properties and how many units are you currently invested in? So as a, a general partner, uh, we're over 15,000 units. And over 15,000? 15,000 units, oh, yes. Cow. And uh, that's roughly uh, 65 uh, syndicated properties. And as a limited partner, that number is even higher. I've invested in all of our deals that we're a general partnership um, on, and uh, that number is over 100 as a limited partner. So I, I truly enjoy passive investing. Uh, it's something that's changed my life and I invest in a lot of different things and value add multifamily is really kind of the main, you know, the main driver in most of my portfolio um, as a general partner and as a limited partner. But uh, yeah, I, I love this space and uh, there's so many great opportunities out there. So we keep growing, even though we had a, 
a really phenomenal 2021, and we we sold off uh, 14 properties, and so it was it was a great year. But we we keep uh, we keep adding more. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, and I saw from your bio, and I see it in the background: three bats. <laughs> you you played ball at Arizona State. Is that I correct? Did. I did. Yes, that's correct. Fantastic. So baseball player, my son was a baseball player through, through high school, but you know, going college ball is, is tough. It's competitive, man. It was, I mean, I, it was a dream to play at Arizona state. It was something I, I remember when I was 12 years old, I wrote my goals down on a piece of paper and that was one of them to, to play and get a scholarship to Arizona state. And uh, at the time, like that was, that was the school. Um, they've produced more major league baseball players than any other division one school. And I wanted to, to play with the best and never thought a, a kid from Elgin, Illinois would get the opportunity, but I did. And it was just an amazing experience. And um, it's really kind of a lot what I've learned going through the program, just, you know, the discipline, the determination, the work ethic. I mean, all that is what I've taken into the business world. And uh, it's really helped me uh, thrive. Um, so, so great experience there. And uh, it didn't end the way I would have wanted it to. I, I, I ended up getting um, really sick end of my sophomore year, got diagnosed with ITP, which is a blood platelet disorder, very similar to like leukemia or lupus. And oh, it wow. pretty much ruined my baseball career. Um, I was out for a year, did a medical red shirt. Doctors told me you'll, you'll never play baseball again. And this was probably the most devastating news I've ever had to take in my life because I'd worked ever since I was 12 to get to, you know, Arizona State University and be on, you know, a, a platform where the next level is, you know, professional baseball. And I played with 16 of my teammates that went on to play in the major leagues. And wow. not to say that I would have made it, but it would have been nice to, to go out trying versus having to, you know, literally walk away. And, and after um, I was diagnosed, I did a medical red shirt and, and had a you know, very risky surgery. I was able to to rehab for a year and come back, finish up my senior season, but I had to, you know, walk away on my own terms at that point, just because we didn't know health wise, you know, how this happened, why it happened. And we just felt like, you know, at the time my health was more important than trying to chase, chase a dream. And so I had to literally give it up, but it was in those moments where I was sitting in the hospital bed. I was like, all right, what am I going to do with my life? Because I always wanted to, to be that athlete that, you know, was successful, did well, made, you know, good money, but then was smart about it and invested, you know, in, in various things. And so that's really where I got turned on to, um, you know, investing in syndications and and the Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, book by Robert Kiyosaki. I, I recall reading that while I'm, you know, bedridden and uh, in the hospital. And it just, things just, just kind of fell into places like, all right, you know, this was like my backup plan, but now it's going to end up being my, you know, plan A for me. And, um, and so, you know, I was able to come back and finish up, you know, the last you know season on the field, which, you know, was, was in and of itself, you know, for me, you know, nice, nice Huge accomplishment. finish up. Yeah. I mean, if it, with the doctor saying you, you won't ever play again and, and just what it took to get back on the field. Um, so, so I kind of look at like, um, you know, my reference to baseball in, in this whole syndication business, being a passive investor, uh, you know, you can make pro athlete money doing this. And uh, it's it's something that's not the driving force, but it was something I felt like, you know, it, it it really, you know, has some similarities to, you know, what I wanted to accomplish in life, the lifestyle I wanted to live. And so it's been kind of a driving force for me to really, you know, take control of something that, I, you know, I had an experience that was out of my control. And 
it was, it was a tough hand. I like to say life threw me a curveball, and, you know, you just, you, you react to adversity. Uh, some will, you know, kind of get knocked down and knock it up. And, and I just, you know, said, Hey, we'll keep moving forward. Um, you know, that's fantastic. plan for me. <laughs> right. Right. That's fantastic. Um, so a few things there, one, um, you know, so the listeners are, are mainly, um, either passive investors or syndicators looking to scale and, you know, for the listeners benefit, you know, you said something that, you know, maybe glossed over, but as a 12 year old, you wrote down your goal, you know, and, and that imprinted in your head and it drove you, you know, from the age of 12 to get to where you were actually playing ball at Arizona state. And so for the listeners benefit, I would, I would say, look, you, you need to write down your goals. You know, you need to believe that you can achieve them and, and then have that be the driving force. There's a lot of people that want to get into this industry, into, into multifamily, yeah. but they're scared, you know, or they, they get, you know, they analyze things to death and they just can't pull the trigger. So um, you, while you're bedridden, look to, you know, go for, take your plan B and turn it into your plan A. How did you... Um, so did you go right from baseball to multifamily or, or did you have a career step between? I had a career step in between, but I also had the benefit. One of my teammates, his father was an apartment syndicator and they were buying properties in Phoenix at the time I was doing my medical red shirt. So I got to become pretty close with him and see what he was doing. And I got to learn the business. So I knew about the syndication business, uh, the apartment syndication business back in the early 2000s. And I just... I knew how lucrative it was. I saw it happen, you know, with, with a lot of successful entrepreneurs where they were able to acquire these, you know, these portfolios. And so all the benefits that, you know, why we invest in it today, the cash sure. flow, you know, the, the equity upside, the great tax benefits. Uh, but the one thing that I thought was, you know, really important too was, um, you know, just the ability to control your time and to have, you know, um, you know, what you do, you know, be more of a lifestyle. And that's really what I saw in this, um, in my teammate's father, he had a, very successful syndication business, still has it today. And he's been able to, you know, coach his sons in, in, in different, you know, sports growing up. He's been able to be, you know, have a flexible schedule, but he's also done very, very well, um, you know, financially and is doing something that, you know, I told myself, like, I, that's the business for me. That's something I want to get into because I'm super passionate about real estate investing. And the syndication was just, it had everything that I, I kind of ever wanted in a business model. And it's fun. And I work with great people. So the combination of kind of having someone who was like a mentor who would actually send me books, we would talk about kind of the various deals. I knew at some point that that's where, you know, I ended up you know, wanting to, to, to get to, uh, and, and I had a couple different, uh, you know, careers in between. I, I had a really nice offer when I, uh, graduated to go work for, um, you know, at the time it was a, a serial entrepreneur kind of trying to launch the next Facebook. And so it was, it was a great experience. And, um, I learned a lot about growing and scaling businesses there. And then I got into our family's third, I was third generation, uh, working with my dad for about five years and, um, and so, yeah, I had very, and I mean, always was kind of, you know, doing the side hustle, trying to kind of get ahead and invest. And so I started investing in real estate back in 2006 and it was mainly our single family, I should say, um, you know, with the goal of trying to, you know, scale it into multifamily, but as, um, one of my side businesses did really well, I had, you know, enough money to start kind of deploying into multifamily syndications and, 
in a period of about three years, I was able to, I like to say, invest my way out of the corporate world and then launch uh, McKenna Capital to really help others do the same. And so I kind of took the route of being a passive investor in syndications and, and creating enough cash flow or passive income to give myself that, that freedom and flexibility. That's huge. Um, you know, it's, there's, there's more and more syndicators out there today and there's more and more um, education platforms, whether it be podcasts or blogs or books or uh, YouTube videos um, to teach you how to do it. But look, I'm 51 and I didn't get involved until four years ago and I didn't understand even you know, syndication, what it was and, and how to do it. And, and it was scary. And even though I had the capital, um, but I think it's, um, you know, it takes just one person. So you were fortunate that you met your, you know, from one of your teammates, his father was a syndicator. And from, you know, from the father's perspective, not a lot of next generation people are interested in, you know, there's, there are probably a lot of teammates that were just interested in baseball and chasing girls and, and didn't take the time to, to try to pull out the wisdom out of him. So, you know, I applaud you for doing that because, um, that kind of propelled you forward, you know? Um, yeah. so talk about being afraid um, what was it like doing your first passive deal and your first syndication deal? You know, when I did my first one, I would say, um, you know, it's a, it was a little nerve wracking because you're like, all right, I'm going to tie up this money for, you know, a, a period of years. Right. Um, but I think when I got to my first deal, I was actually more excited than afraid because I had done a ton of research. I had read probably every book out there on real estate investing and, and growing your wealth through, through real estate syndications. And I just, I felt like I was ready and it was more or less just, you know, having some money to get started. Um, because as I was building another business, I had a lot of capital tied up, but then when I, when I exited, I, I had enough to really just deploy and I knew right away what I was going to do. And I actually went and invested my first five deals were with my teammate's father in his syndication business. So awesome. I got really good exposure. You know, I knew kind of who to go to and how I was going to invest. And then from there, I started investing with other syndicators because I knew how important diversification was and I wanted to invest in different markets. Plus, I, I also knew that eventually I wanted to get into the syndication business. So I kind of wanted to see how others were running their business and the type of deals they were putting together. And I think it's a great way to learn for anyone who wants to get into this. Being a passive investor, you get to see how others are doing it and how these deals work. And you get to diversify into some great investment opportunities. So, you know, being actively in, involved today, I still love passively investing. I think it's kind of you know, it's a very therapeutic type of investing because, you know, you get kind of the same benefits, but you don't have a lot of the headaches that most people will, will say real estate right. can bring them. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's something I, I think I'll do for the rest of my life because it's just, it's it just kind of, it's fun to see it grow and accumulate. And then, you, you know, start to get the snowball effect after several years of investing and, um, and it's just kind of cool to, to build it and, and also build it with others. Um, because I look at this as like a team sport with a uh, syndication. We're all in this together. We're all, you know, working towards achieving the same goals. We're all on the same team. And so it's a, just a fun business. Uh, that That's you can a do crazy it. part of what you just said. I mean, I've been part of a number of different industries. And when I, when I heard this about team sport and people working together and, you know, experienced guys helping the new guys, I was a little skeptical, you yeah. know, like, 
is, is this for real? Like, you know, typically the guys that are on top don't want to share their secrets with, you know, I, that's my experience in other industries at yeah. least. Um, but here there's so much partnering that goes on that, you know, it, I've found it to be a reality that 99.9% of the people that I've met, you know, are really genuine and want to help the next guy. And who knows, it's maybe not three months from now, but maybe two years from now or three years from now, you may end up partnering with that person. So, you yeah. know, people don't like to burn bridges. They like to, to help one another, which is uh, really, really, it makes the industry a really great place to work. Yeah, I would totally agree because I've been in other industries too. And I just, there's just a different feeling about um, just the syndication space in general and people who you might say, oh, that they're a competitor, but you, you come together and you start doing deals or, or maybe you end up buying, you know, a property from them. And, you know, there's that relationship that matters and, uh, and you just never know, you don't want to burn any bridges. And I think that's, that's something just in, in life in general, you know, if you could treat people well and always be, you know, respectful and, um, you know, you never know when, when that call is going to come or that person's going to reach out. And if you have a good relationship, I think it's going to only be a, you know, a helpful start. Absolutely. The other thing that was when I got into it and I just started investing passively and I want to get your take on this is I kind of thought to myself, all right, well, the senior syndicators, the ones that have experience, the ones that have been around for a while, why do they even want my money? Like they already have their investor database. They already have their, you know, their network of people. So why would they even want to work with me? Now I found that not to be the case, um, but maybe, you know, if you could expand on whether you had that similar experience and why do senior syndicators want to work with new people? You know, I would say that they always want to bring in kind of new capital because what, what I've, um, you know, seen is that you take, for example, someone who, you know, solely focuses in one market, you know, their investor base, after they probably do three or four deals in that market, those investors are going to likely want to diversify outside of that market. And if, if they're solely focused on one market and they don't have, you know, something else to offer, you need fresh capital coming in because that's, that's what I see where people want to diversify. So I think it's good to maintain those relationships because just as you bring in new capital, then all of a sudden, you know, those earlier investors, you know, maybe have had a little breather, they've been able to invest in some other deals, then they come back and invest again. And it's just this perpetual cycle that happens. So I think you always want to be open to, to growing your investor base, just because um, you never know, you know, who you can count on from time to time. And I think the more you can attract, the, the better the position you're going to be in as, as a syndicator. Yeah, uh, those are great points. I, I would add to that that, um, you know, over the years, the per unit prices have gotten higher. So yeah. the deals have gotten, um, more, you know, more expensive to buy. So you need more capital. Yeah. Um, and, and another thing is that, I've seen people come into these, you know, learn about the syndication market, fall in love with it, pull a bunch of money out of the stock market, and then maybe they diversify into five or 10 different deals. And after like a year, they're tapped out like uh, uncle, like I don't have yeah. any more capital and I have to wait yeah. until, you know, the, the first deal turns, you know, yep. it goes full cycle. And some of these deals go three, four, five, six years. So um, that's another reason why syndicators are always looking for, you know, new, new investors to add to the mix. 
Um, yeah, and they also are scaling up likely with properties. Maybe they start class C, then go B, then A, and those properties cost more and there's more capital needed. And um, yeah, so that's another, another reason. Yeah, absolutely. I had one senior syndicator that um, was on the show and, and he said, look, you know, we got to the point where we had so many people that wanted to invest. If I kept doing, you know, C deals, then I'd be like, closed out in a matter of, you know, a couple hours. And, and so in order to satisfy the needs of his investor base, he started to go up to B's and A's because the deals get more expensive and, and so it requires more capital. And so he can get more people into the deal. Yeah. So talk about your first syndication deal. Um, what was that like going from, you know, being a passive investor to moving into the syndication space? You know, it was a little nerve wracking because, you know, you just don't know what to expect and you just, you hope that things kind of, you know, work out the way that, you know, you were anticipating. But I also am a believer that, you know, you got to take action and, and you're never going to have all the answers up front. You know, you might know 90% of what you're getting into, but that 10% is, you know, that's the, that's the, the gut feel that you got to, you know, go with and trust that you're going to be able to make it happen. And so it was a, uh, you know, the smaller deal, which again, most people start that way. And, uh, but it was a confidence builder, you know, was able to get one done. It was actually in the self-storage industry. And, um, and so, yeah, and I personally invested too. And at that time I had been sharing enough with people in my network, what I was doing, all the deals I was passively investing in that it was mainly friends and family that I kind of went to and, um, and, and they were ready. It wasn't just like, Hey, overnight I got a deal. It was just, you know, they, they'd heard me talking about, what I was doing for, for, for months on end. And then, um, you know, we started, started small with one and then just kind of build uh, off of that. And, um, and, and I was, you know, I, I was real happy to, to, to see it kind of work out even on a small scale, but then, you know, each one got a little bit bigger and I was constantly, you know, sharing what I was doing with people in my network. And I just saw just a high level of interest. I just, I knew there was something there it was just a matter of just sticking to it and, um, grinding it out and, and also just trying to, you know, partner with good people, good investors. And um, it just made the experience go that much better. Absolutely. I love what you said, you know, telling people what you do. Like, listeners, you know, you need to do that. You know, tell people what you're doing. You know, whether you're going to invest in your first passive deal or your fifth passive deal, or you're going to syndicate your first deal. If people know that you're learning and you're getting involved and you're having positive experiences, then they're more apt to want to invest with you and partner with you. Um, so make sure you tell people what you're doing. Um, yeah, I actually went and reached out. I put a, a list together of 250 people in my network from like LinkedIn, just coworkers, friends, family. And I reached out to all of them and said, Hey, can we meet up for coffee or a quick call? I just want to share what I'm doing. And this was just a very simple um, outreach. And there was only about five of those people in my network who said, you know, nay, I'm not interested in, in getting together, catching up. And so I had 245 people that I was able to share what I was doing with before I even had any sort of deal. And it was just like, Hey, here's what I'm doing on the side passively. And the level of interest was, was extremely high. So that's kind of how I had it, you know, a little network to start with of, of people when I did have some deals I could share with them. And yeah. it was all based upon just tapping into people that, I, I felt like, you know, um, th- there was this 
this kind of um, relationship with them that, you know, and I would tell them, I said, Hey, if you came across something that you really believe in, I hope you would reach out to me and tell me about it. <laughs> right, and that exactly. was kind of like the, the, the attitude I had. And it was never a sales pitch. It was just like, Hey, here's an opportunity that I, I learned about that's impacting my life in a positive way. And I care enough about you that I want to just sit down and share what I'm doing. And that was the approach all along. And, and it just, you could feel the energy in the room and people being like, yeah, you know, like, keep me in the loop. Let me know what, you know, share, share what you're working on and, and, and share that experience, you know, with, with what you've got, you know, in the pipeline. And so it, it just, it started from that and, and it just continued to keep growing and growing over time. That's huge. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, for you meeting with all those people, you learned a, a lot, you learned what, you know, what are the questions that they have? What are the, what are their concerns? You know, what are they investing in now? And, you know, what's the leap for them to go from that to this? And so all yeah. of that is, is huge. The other thing you said was use the word opportunity. I think that's so key. You know, some, some people really get caught up in that, you know, they want to get into the syndication space, but they're afraid of the capital raising side. And they're, they look at it from the standpoint of, I need other people's money. Yeah. And, and it's not that it's an opportunity yep. that for you to help grow their capital. Yeah. And they don't have to do it. You just move on to the next guy. Yeah. And, and it's most people, what I, I, I found when they learn about it, they can come to their own conclusion very quickly on, Hey, this is a good fit for them or not. And I, right. I will say most realize they're like, yeah, this is better than what I'm currently doing. And then I would say about 90% of our investors have done multiple deals. So then it, it grows into a strategy of where they're like, yeah, there's not really a better place to put my capital when I can diversify it and uh, do it in, in that manner. So it's, it's one of those, I think, it, and then it just starts spreading because then, you know, those investors want to share it with people, you know, in their family or their coworkers. And it just, that network effect just, just, it, that organic growth is, is really cool to see because, you know, people are sharing something that they believe in, that they, they put a lot of trust and faith into someone and to see them go out of their way to continue to bring more investors into this. Cause I think a, a big part of this whole industry is creating awareness. I mean, right. I still believe 99% of the population out there doesn't even know what a real estate syndication is, nor no. do they know how to get access to one. And Completely so I think agree. a huge opportunity. And, uh, and so it's kind of like my mission. I just want to spread the word because I don't care what someone invests in. I just want them to know that these are, there's these other great opportunities outside of Wall Street that are available. And it's worth doing your homework, your due diligence to see if it's something that might be a good fit for you. I completely agree. I completely, completely agree. I, I think that, you know, I mean, look, I'm, I didn't get involved until I was 47 and I, I was around wealthy people and I never had anybody offer me an opportunity to, to get into a private syndication, you know? Um, yeah. I think it used to be kind of like, uh, you know, you, you had to know someone at the country club, do the secret handshake. And Oh, by the way, here's the deal. Whereas, you know, just now with things going more online, I think it really opened up kind of the floodgates to really share more education around, you know, these type of syndications, what they're all about. So I think there's still a huge opportunity there, but, but yeah, I mean, really in probably the last five or 10 years, I've just kind of seen it explode. And, and the number one comment I get from most investors is kind of just, you know, you, you alluded to it a little bit, but it's like, Hey, 
I wish I would have known about this 10 or 15 right. years ago. I, like I what do I too. growing my net worth to. And, uh, and I always say, yeah, I knew about it, but I wish I had more money to invest. Back then. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's the flip side is like the yeah. young guys don't yeah. have the money. The yeah. people that are older, they, they didn't know about it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, how would you answer this question? I got this when I, when I was doing my coffee meetings, you know, with, and this, this is more geared towards the people that I met with that, you know, there's some of the people that kind of knew multifamily and invest with a bunch of syndicators and, you know, they know the business and they, their questions are different than the ones that just are in your personal network. They're like, Hey, I don't really understand this thing, but I know I can trust you. Um, what's the biggest risk do you see in these real estate syndication deals? You know, I don't worry that much about an investor losing capital from the standpoint of, you know, we're buying, you know, value add real estate that is already profitable from day one. The day we take it over, there's already a cash flow stream associated with it. We're going to go in and, and, and help enhance that, you know, that revenue and, and through capital, um, you know, expenditures and help try to, you know, optimize, you know, some of the, you know, the expenses, um, you know, I, so I don't necessarily, I mean, no, it's possible. There's no guarantees. Um, but I feel like the biggest risk to an investor, you know, might be if, you know, your, your capital's tied up, like, it, you know, you should only be investing something that you, you just, you know, assume that you're not going to see anything for five years. And that's kind of the, the, the hurdle you have to get over and get comfortable with that. And if you are, then I think, you know, you, the, the ride will be much smoother knowing that, you know, the likelihood of things working out, I think are very high. Um, so I, I mean, I think just around knowing what you're getting into, like, I think, um, you know, there's a difference between someone who buys stock and when they want to, you know, cash out or they need the money, they can, they can sell it and get it in a few days. It's right. very li liquid. And I think understanding that these are illiquid investments. And I think there's a lot of great attributes and, and, and reasons why the deals are, are better from that standpoint, because you don't have that emotional reaction of when the, the stock market goes up and down, like, oh, I got to cash out. It's like right, you, you know, you can't. more on a quarterly to quarterly basis. And it's I think you get rewarded for, for stay, that staying power. Um, so I think, um, you know, also not doing, you know, and you should do your homework with who you're investing with, because I tell investors like we look at so many deals and, you know, the numbers all start to look the same from deal to deal. I mean, just there you kind of have the going, you know, return or the going rate. I, I think the most important um, aspect of the deal, it's the people behind those numbers. And if you can get that part right and you, you invest with good people, surround yourself with good people, I think you're going to end up in the long run doing very well. So I think at the end of the day, like it, it, that would probably be the biggest thing I would say, like if you can get that part right. You're going to be in a good place. I mean, there's going to be risks. There's going to be unknowns, but like you have to have, you know, belief in that team that like when, something comes up that they're capable and competent and they're going to be transparent about how they handle that um, because not everything's going to go perfectly. And, um, and so I think knowing who you're investing with is, is huge. And um, for new investors, there, there's that trust, that comfort level, because they're essentially putting money, you know, to, with you and in your, in your company. And um, you know, they're, 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 they're hoping that you're going to generate a nice return for them. And I think, um, you know, you just never want them to do something that they're uncomfortable with or that they feel forced. And, um, and so it's, I think it's just kind of that, that approach, the, that type of, you know, psychology around, um, you know, just feeling comfortable with the team and, and, um, and then also, you know, having a track record too, I think is important. So you can kind of 
show here's what we did in the past. There's no guarantee that we're going to do this in the future, but at least they know it's not your first kind of rodeo. And, um, you know, you, you, um, you at least have a high likelihood of having success. Those, those are all great points. I, I, I really agree with, with, with everything you said. I mean, I, I would start with, um, you know, if a passive investor, I would start with the market, you know, like what market do you want to be in? Um, yep. And then the second piece is, I would, is who, who the people are you're going to invest yep. in. And after the people, it's looking at the deal. Yep. Um, but people that aren't in the industry, it's, it's difficult for, the, for some of them to really understand. To your point, I see a lot of deals too. And almost every deal has the same return, you know, <laughs> forecasted return profile. And yep. um, the people is very important to me. Um, so yeah, it's a real relationship business. I mean, I think, right. you know, that's, that's people are going to make their decisions w- w- with what you said, you know, people they know, like, and trust. And, and I think that's, that's a huge uh, portion of why someone would, you know, decide to invest with you or not. Absolutely. So, um, have you lost on any of your, your deals? No, <laughs> I'll knock on wood here. We have not. I mean, we, we've had deals that have been behind. I, I kind of put you on the spot because I, did, I didn't know the answer. But, I, you know, I had another guy who's invested like in over 40 passive deals. And I asked him that question. I said, have you lost on any of your deals? And he said, no, Darren, I haven't lost capital on any of my deals. He did. He said, you know, there's some deals where they project this cash flow yeah. and I, I got less cash flow or maybe I didn't get any cash flow. Um, until it, it sold and then I got a gain. Or sometimes the business plan may have been five years and there was a hiccup and they had to hold it till seven years. Yeah. And But then when they sold it, they still had a profit. And so, it, you know, um, that's a fantastic, you know, track record to have 40 some odd deals and you, you're invested in over 100 as an LP and not to lose your capital. So I think capital preservation is huge um, in these deals. Um, one of the risks that I talk about um, to to my uh, you know people I'm close to is is and it's because I have another business that trades loan portfolios between banks. And during the big recession, uh, the Great Recession, whatever, 2008, 2010, where I saw people get hurt was when the loan came due in a terrible economy. Yeah. So I'm sensitive to the term on these loans that are on the deals. Um, you can't get a 30 year fixed rate mortgage on these big multifamily deals. So they all have some type of balloon feature, which just means that the loan comes due. And um, a lot of people are doing bridge loans today and I get that they're very attractive. And as long as you can do the value add in the, in the year or two, you're fine. Yeah. But if all that's the piece that I'm a little bit conservative yeah. on is, is that I'm okay with like having a floater, yeah. you know, and a cap, but I want to know that there's a longer term than, you know, than three years. I want to know that there's a five or seven or 10 year term so that if I can pay the mortgage, the lender can't take the property from yeah. me. And that's where I saw people get hurt. And I wasn't involved in any of those deals, but I, I'm dealing with the banks yeah. that are, you know, buying the loans. And, and that's where they came back and would tell me like, Hey, here's the, here's the problem. And is the property cash flow is down and the loans come and due, So the valuation is down and the sponsors don't have the excess capital to bring into the deal at that 
you know, so they're not going to refinance it. Yeah. Um, so what's your take on that? Yeah. So my take is, um, it's always something to be thinking about and planning for and, um, you know, to have flexibility on an exit, whether that's to, to sell in a, you know, certain period of time or to refinance. I think, yeah, I would agree that, you know, all the deals that we do, we at least want to see five years, even if it is a bridge loan where we have like, you know, three years and then two one-year extensions, you know, because all the decisions we're making, I mean, we never want to back up to, you know, the fifth year and be like, all right, what are we going to do? I mean, generally we're two to three years in and we're making that decision of like, are we going to sell or are we going to refinance to some, you know, long-term, you know, fixed rate debt? And um, I am starting to see, I, I would say, you know, most deals I'm still seeing are, are, are the, you know, the bridge loans with you know, some floating debt with a rate cap. But I am starting to see, you know, talk of like, all right, you know, finding a high quality asset and let's just lock in some, you know, lock some in. low, low, you know, um, rate agency debt. Um, it, it's again, I think it all comes down to diversification. Like, you know, you're probably not going to get as high you know, a return as, as a value add deal, but like, you know, there's more, um, it, it's more conservative. It's, it's a longer term, you know, and then that you're talking about maybe that hold period is, is seven years. Um, and, you know, you can still exit where you can, if you get a nice attractive uh, rate that someone can come in and assume that loan. So it's, it's not a, not a bad strategy. And I think, um, you know, I think there's still a window. We don't know how long, you know, things are going to continue to be as good as they are. Um, right. you know, but, but I think that, you know, we're starting to see a little bit of like, all right, you know, let's, let's kind of look ahead and maybe for some deals that makes sense. Um, but yeah, we're, we're generally, um, you know, trying to put ourselves in, in a flexible position so we can make that decision well in advance and really kind of shift if we need to, if the market or environment changes. Um, but yeah, the, the plan is, uh, you know, we want to obviously generate as high a return as we can, but we also know that there's going to become a day where, you know, the value add multifamily, it's getting harder and harder to find, you know, really solid deals. Um, just because there's only so much value add out there and with cap rate compression, you know, they're getting more expensive, but I do see, you know, a little shift uh, towards, you know, maybe some, some class A, more stabilized asset, you know, maybe try lock in some long-term debt. Um, certainly in a few years, I think that'll be more the norm than the, the, than the bridge debt we're seeing today. Yeah. And I, I think that that plays into <clears throat> the whole inflation story too. Yeah. Um, now if, Time will tell whether it's transitory or, you know, whether it's, you know, going to be here for a long time coming. But, you know, if you buy a long-term asset like that, you know, that has an A property that has, you know, a lot less maintenance, you know, um, and you lock in your debt. So your debt service stays constant. But then if there's inflation, that means, you know, the, Wages are going to go up and most right. likely rents are going to go up. And so your top line could continue to increase year over year where your debt service, you know, remains constant. So you, you can get that profitability uh, increase as time goes on. Yeah, no, it definitely. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a, de uh, you know, a balancing act of, you know, trying to, you know, for certain properties, but also, you know, looking at the environment. Cause we also, I would say, you know, three, four years ago, we locked in some low rate agency debt and we're now in yeah. a situation where yield maintenance, yeah, I mean, you we can't wanna, sell We want to sell right. these fantastic assets, but you know, it, it, we're going to pay a prepayment penalty of, you know, a million dollars or 800,000. And it's like, we didn't have that with the bridge debt and we could exit those. And, and, and so, you right. know, you got to, <laughs> 
you got to figure out what's There's the best pros scenario, and cons you know? to everything. Uh, we, we thought interest rates were, you know, were very low a few years ago and then they got even lower. And then now we're kind yes. of seeing a little reversal. And so it's, um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, just trying to, you know, be as flexible and, and diversified as you can. And you're, and you're trying to make the best decisions that you can for everyone too. And, um, you know, but, but everything is still, you know, as long as it's cash flowing and you're growing and doing well, I mean, you don't necessarily, we don't have to sell. We continue to just keep, you know, uh, keep increasing ROI and, and that day will come. It'll happen. It's just, you know, we wish we were able to do it earlier. Um, but that's just, you know, the situation we're in. Absolutely. Um, so what's your advice to people that they're new and they want to be a syndicator and how, you know, it's extremely competitive to win a deal today. Yeah. So how do they do it as a newbie? You know, I would say, you know, before someone wants to get into the industry, my, my advice is always like, I think it's helpful to become a passive investor first, at least kind of know what these deals are all about, because you can speak to your own experience when you're talking to investors about what your syndication is going to look and feel like. And I just, you don't have to do that, but I just think it's, it, it's, it's only gonna be beneficial. It helped me out tremendously. I, I agree. You know, and, and I think that would be kind of probably step one and then, you know, figuring out like, okay, what market are you going to focus in on? You know, who's going to be part of your team? Because in this business, you, you need a team and maybe it's starting off by trying to add value to someone who's already in the syndication business and you might be able to join their team and help them out and gain more experience that you could then leverage down the road for, for other opportunities that you might be pursuing. So I think trying to surround yourself with people who are doing what you want to be doing is also key. And then trying to find a way to add value to them. And, um, that, that would be kind of my advice for someone just getting started. I think that's perfect. I mean, I, I don't think you can win a deal in today's market, at least in the large scale multifamily, unless you partner with somebody who has experience. Yeah. There's too many people bidding on these deals and the broker and the seller are not going to pick you if you're, you know, a newbie and don't have any experience. But you could be a newbie partnered with an experienced guy and that works. And the, the other thing I would say is that when we talked earlier about tell people what you do, you know, I've had some people come to me and they're like, Darren, man, I just don't have the experience. Like, you know, I want to talk to you know, my network, but I don't really know how to even, you know, pitch them. And cause I don't have the experience. How are they going to, you know, give me a hundred thousand dollars to, to invest in a deal. And I'm like, it's not about you, right? It's, it's, you know, who's the attorney you're going to be using? Are they, are they, you know, a, a specialist in syndications? Who's the property management company that's going to be managing the property day to day? You know, if you bring on a property management company that's managing 10,000 units in, in that market, well, all of a sudden it, they're like, oh, it's not you answering the phone call. It's like, these guys know what they're doing. Yeah. You know, who are the lenders you're going to be using? They specialize in multifamily, all the, so that's part of the team that Ryan's talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And you start selling the team, your partner, the attorneys, the lenders, the property management companies, and then all of a sudden- people are like, oh, this guy's got it buttoned down. He's got a team, you know? So that's, that's what he's referring to there. So here's something that I thought after getting my first syndication done, I'm like, okay, well, you get your first syndication done and then it's just, you kind of, you know what you're doing and you just truck on. But like all the people that I've met, not all, but I, a lot of the successful people that I've met, 
are always pushing themselves to go, to go do something that they haven't done before that puts them in, in an uncomfortable position. So talk about, you know, some, an area of your business, your growth, where you had to get uncomfortable. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, we're very comfortable with value add multifamily. It's our, been our core focus since we started. Um, but as our investor base has, has grown and is very diverse and, you know, I'm in touch with a lot of our investors as far as, you know, what they're looking for. And we had a segment that was, you know, willing to take on, you know, a little bit more risk for some higher upside and wanted to explore other alternatives. So we started a few years ago getting into other asset classes uh, beyond multifamily you know, to help kind of provide, um, you know, more diversification in a, in a portfolio. And, you know, there was, you know, education around that just, you know, for me personally, I, I did a lot of, you know, my own due diligence. I did a lot of my own um, personal investments in the, in these areas to try to kind of learn as much as I could. And then I tried to find, you know, really good partners in the space, just like we do in multifamily. And then, you know, try to find um, a way to kind of make, make it all, um, you know, come together. And so, you know, we've expanded into, we just did a, a senior living development deal. We've done, um, you know, ATM funds, self-storage funds, mobile home park funds. Um, I, I, I recently invested in a Bitcoin mining fund. Um, you know, we are looking at all different asset classes as a way to provide, uh, you know, great deal flow, good diversification. And a lot of the characteristics are very similar to multifamily, you know, nice cash flowing deals that have, some sort of value add or equity upside play and great tax benefits. And, and so that, you know, I, it was uncomfortable when you're putting your neck and your reputation on the line for something that is new and different. And people know you as like Absolutely. having experience in the multifamily space. And, and so, um, you know, it started again with one small deal and then that was successful. And then we grew from there and then we went into another asset class and then another, you know, different type of deal. And now we've just got some really unique, um, you know, opportunities that our investors love and, and it, they, they now pair them with multifamily. So as we see multifamily cash flow, you know, going down a little bit, there's other deals out there that can provide a lot of cash flow. And, and so you, as an investor, if you're looking at your overall portfolio, you can kind of marry the two together and that makes, you know, a really solid deal where you got one with a lot of upside potential, maybe not much cash flow, but then you got this other one over here that's very conservative, but high cash flow. And a lot of investors we see making choices based upon, you know, almost doing two investments into one. And, and it's just, um, it's an area that um, is, is, you know, something I see growing very rapidly, especially with inflation and just, you know, great value add multifamily deals getting harder and harder to find. Um, but there was, you know, a feeling of like, all right, this, this is, this is new. This is, um, right. you know, something we're exploring that is, um, you know, we don't know it as well as multifamily, but we believe in who we're partnering with. We believe in, in these opportunities and these assets. And so it's, uh, it's all part of the journey, the experience and, and the investors know we're in this together. I mean, we're, we're trying to make the most calculated, educated decisions we can, and no one has a crystal ball, but I think, you know, by being open-minded to what else is out there and, and listening to investors as far as like what they're looking for, uh, you know, that's really, you know, why, um, we do what we do. I mean, I, I really try to keep up with the demand. And, and also personally, I'm, I'm building out my portfolio and I like to invest in a lot of different things. And so um, I think it's fun to really kind of, you know, explore and, and bring those new opportunities together and then syndicate it with people who, who have an interest in investing in those types of assets as well. I think that was extremely smart. 
I mean, you, you looked at, you actually got feedback from your investors. What are you looking for? Yeah. And they told you like a segment of them told you, Hey, look, we'd be interested in something a little different. And then you went out and explored and, and came back with something, Hey, would, would this work? You know? And so you already had the investors kind of lined up and they're telling you, we want some more diversification. You know, you talked about it earlier, you know, diversification could be multifamily. Hey, I've, I've got enough in Texas. I want to go to Arizona, you know, and, and maybe you go with a different syndicator when you move, you know, out of state, but there's also, Hey, I've got enough multifamily. I want to try something else. And if you just do multifamily, they're going to go some, yeah. to somebody else. And so that, that, I think that's very smart. Hey, question for you. How, how do you structure your deals and how did you um, partner with these other, on these other asset classes? Because you, you said funds. Um, so do you do funds or do you do one-off syndicated deals for each one of your multifamily assets? And then when you invested and partnered with these other folks that had funds, how did you do that? Was McKenna Capital the uh, investor in those deals or how did that work? So it's a little bit of everything. <laughs> we okay. do most of the multifamily. We do our single asset investments that we, we joint venture on. And uh, I'm very involved. A lot of those deals, I'm, you know, the loan guarantor as well on them. Uh, we put up earnest money on every deal. Um, as far as the funds go, that is a combination of fund of a fund. Um, other times we've been the fund sponsor, the fund manager. It just, it really, um, depends on, you know, we look at the deal overall and see how does it make sense? What's the best structure? Because, you know, sometimes it makes sense to, to have a larger fund or to do a fund of a fund. Um, and so we, we've been open to all we've done all and, um, each one kind of has its own, you know, purpose for, for setting it up that way. And, um, and, and certain deals that I, I find more of the alternatives outside of multifamily are more kind of in the fund structure. And so, um, you know, we, we've gotten very comfortable with that and, and, um, it's been, it's been a great experience. And that's probably the one where we, you know, we've had a tremendous amount of, of growth in, in kind of seeking those out, putting those deals together. And, um, and so, yeah, it's cool because we can kind of leverage and, and, you know, what we see out in the space and the terms like, like we have a, you know, really interesting um, deal that we put together. That's, you know, short term, it's 12 months and the cash flow is really high. And that's, that's a nice, um, you know, opportunity for people that want to just park money somewhere and not have it tied up for five or seven years because maybe they don't know what it's like, or maybe they've already done that with 10 or 15 multifamily deals. And so that's, again, listening to investors and trying to get creative and, um, and just through kind of our network of, you know, what we, you know, who we know and what we know in the space, you know, we're constantly like, like I talk to other people in the space, you know, from like an operator deal flow standpoint, you know, multiple times a week. And so, you know, we're, we're always just building those relationships, even though we're not looking to, I mean, we've got a full plate, we've got plenty of a deal flow and opportunities, but you just never know. There might be the one or two opportunities that you look at in the future. They're like, you know, enough investors are asking about it and you're like, oh yeah, you know, I know so-and-so we, you know, we were talking to, hey, maybe someday something might, you know, might work out. It might make sense to partner on, you know, whatever it might be. And so, um, you know, that's something I, I take very seriously because, you know, that's, that's what I think is, is giving our investors something that, um, is very unique in the space because, um, you know, we've been able to go across multiple, you know, asset classes, 
you know, multiple geographies. And, and then also within those deals, you know, you've got short term versus long term, high cash flow versus, you know, big upside, no cash flow, and just really being able to throw it all out there to the investor and let them choose what's most important to them based upon, you know, their needs and their goals and objectives. And so I think we've been able to hit, you know, pretty good, um, you know, approach with that. And, and it's only been because we've listened to what the investors have you know, been telling us and what they're seeing. And a lot of these investors are very sophisticated. They look at a lot of different deals. A lot of them run companies or they're in venture funds. And so, you know, we try to kind of, you know, you know, ask them questions when we're on the phone because, you know, their businesses are very interesting too and what they're seeing and how they're dealing with, you know, just certain economic, you know, uh, events that, that might may or may not be impacting or driving their business growth. And so I try to still be a sponge. I'm still learning every day. And I love to hear in an entrepreneur, you know, that their story, how did you build your business? Like I had two sure. of those conversations yesterday with, with, uh, two investors that, that run companies. And it's like, how did you get started? Like, tell me about, you know, just what you're doing today and what your plans are for your business for the next five years. And it's just like, I get inspired by that because I've always looked up to people who had, you know, a bigger business or were more successful. And, and I just never looked at it as like, oh, I'm jealous or I'm trying to compete. It was just like, hey, I'm just trying to learn and I'll make it work, whatever, you know, it, whatever it looks like for me, I'll take the best of what I've learned and, and make it my own and, and feel good about that. And so, I just always kind of just taken that approach. And I think it's, it's worked well because the investors feel like, Hey, you're listening, you're taking what they're saying into consideration and, you know, you're out there trying to, 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 you know, make, make, make things happen. And. Well, that's, that's the value that they're getting by working with you, right. Is that you're, you're going out and learning and building those relationships and then taking that and, and providing them with an opportunity and they could either jump on that opportunity or not. But if, if you didn't do that, they may not have had access to, to that opportunity. Um, yep. So, you know, it's funny though, I've talked to a lot of, you know, syndicators that have thousands and thousands of units and I've asked them about, hey, you've done, you know, 10 syndications, whatever, like, why not start up a fund? What's your, and I get silence. Like there's people I think that, and it's funny because when I talk to them about being afraid of doing their first syndication, they're like, yeah, man, I was afraid doing my first syndication. Like, am I going to raise the capital? Yeah. And, but then they get used to it and they know the investors are, are trained and they, he, they know that they have an investor base that is going to fund that deal, but going to a f discretionary fund where they have to raise the capital before they present the deal. I sense that there's some fear that, oh, this is new. I don't, what if, what if I come out with it and nobody wants to invest? Like I'm already, you know, have a great track record, you know? So that's a, that's a risk. And I think that some, some syndicators are afraid to take that risk. Yeah. And there's, a, but it sounds like you, you did it. You did it. I did it. There's also, I mean, a lot of upfront costs and in a lot of these funds, we don't earn any money until the investors, you know, make their return. So, you know, I'm outlaying, a lot, I mean, 50, $75,000 to get this up and running. And then maybe a year later I might see some, you know, so like it's, um, 
there is risk and you see you have to really believe that it's going to work but you also have to know kind of going into it like hey this is going to be worthwhile it's it's not like i woke up one day and said hey i'm going to go start this fund it's like you know just again we're kind of reading the investors and the industry and the opportunities that are out there um and yeah the first one was very tough it was a lot of work because you're kind of on your own putting it all together and um and you're doing it in, in a kind of a different way and um you know so so i think you know you just have to be open and again it goes back to like just, just trying to, to learn and taking risks. I, I, I like to say, you know, calculated risks and, um, and, you know, just really kind of believing and seeing it, you know, all the way to the end. And um, so I think, yeah, you can do it both ways. I mean, I do like the direct investment still in multifamily because a lot of it, I think the value in, in when we exit deals with the 1031 exchanges, I mean, that I feel like a fund approach, you might lose some of that, but I, I know there's pros and cons to both. But a lot of the other alternatives, I, I see more and more of those in the fund structure, and it just it makes things, I think, a little bit easier. And uh, there's a little bit more diversification for those types of investments. Talk about the 1031 on the, on the value-add multifamily, because of all the syndicators I've talked to, I've only had one that said, actually, I've had two, two that have said that they've done 1031 exchanges. One of them explained that it was extremely difficult because of all the paperwork associated with all the limited partners. Um, the other one said that they do that exclusively. So um, there's a huge tax advantage to rolling it over, but there, it sounds like for most syndicators don't do 1031 exchanges. They, you know, return the capital investor has their, their tax liability and then, you know, roll it into a new deal at that point. So what's your take on that? So our take is when we're exiting a deal, that's the number one thing we're looking to do is to try to 1031 exchange if the deal makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of times that you don't find a deal in the time frame that's needed, but that's number one. I mean, we, we want to, cause we know the value in, in providing that to our investors. And plus as a general partnership, most of our money is going to be made on the back end. We'd love a, a nice you know, way to defer those taxes via 1031 exchange as well. Uh, but the beauty of it to an investor is that they get to choose, you know, do I want to participate in the 1031 exchange or do I want to cash out and, and pay the, you know, the, the capital gains taxes on it? So, you know, we've seen, we've had a high level of participation. About 70% of our investors have opted to do the 1031 exchanges. And um, I would say probably about 40% of our deals that we exit, we're doing 1031 exchanges on. And uh, that's great. You know, so it's, it's, but it is a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of like, you know, gauging investor interest early on, you know, like, and then, you know, kind of getting to the commitment. And in some cases, we know the deal that we're acquiring or going to 1031 exchange into. Other times we don't. And we just have to, you know, say, hey, it's going to be similar to what we just, you know, are rolling out of. And, and it's kind of one of those leap of faith, like, you, you know, we don't have the details, but here's the plan. And, and sometimes we got to know the numbers by a certain date and have everyone kind of locked in. So yeah, it can be, you know, a little stressful and, and, and um, you, you might not have everything all, you know, aligned and, and, but you know, it's just, it's just part of the process. And that that's a great number. So 70, 70% typically choose to do, to roll over into the 1031. Yeah. And I think that correct me if I'm wrong, you probably know this better than I do. Um, you need at least 50%. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, it's usually 50% of the, the, the capital that, uh, you know, so you could have a couple of big investors that, that opt for that. And um, yeah. Okay. You also want it to be meaningful okay. too, because, um, you know, again, there's a lot of costs involved, a lot of work involved. 
Um, but on some deals, you can structure it where you can actually do the 1031 exchange and then, you know, depending on if the deal's large enough, take in new investors in a separate LLC. So you kind of, you know, get to, you know, appease the 1031 investors with a great opportunity. And then you get to still bring it to your investor base as a new deal as well. And so we've done several of those where it's kind of a combination. Fantastic. So is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that the listeners know about um, either your company, what the deals that you guys structure, the markets that you're in, um, or things that they should pay attention to um, and get involved in the industry? You know, I think we, we covered a lot. We covered, um, uh, yeah, we know, did cover a lot. So I just want to give you an opportunity like, if there was anything. You know, one thing I will say is that um, we didn't really go into too much detail on this, but like I've also, as an investor, like I've been investing in, in, in the crypto space for a couple of years now. And I see more and more interest from just, you know, casual investors asking about it. I, I, I see a day where, that is going to be, you know, part of the syndication space because that is digital real estate. I mean, there are passive income streams there. I, I invest in a lot and I'm getting passive income no different than I do in, in a real estate, you know, syndication. And it's very, very lucrative, but it's still kind of like the Wild West. It's not as mature as I would like to see it. But we are, you know, exploring that space. And I do see a day where the two kind of come together and there will be syndications there. And I, for an investor, you know, who just, you know, again, it's all about education and learning at this point. Um, but I do see that as a very attractive, you know, alternative asset, um, you know, area where um, a lot of money is going to be made and, and um, but there's a lot of, lot more risk right now. So I, I just, I, I plant that seed as I, I think it's something as an investor to just at least know and understand, or, you know, at least, um, you know, start paying attention because we definitely, I think are going to have a run here that a lot of money is going to be made. There's going to be a tremendous lot of opportunity. And I think it will, you know, complement what we're doing in, in real estate and, and, and in that syndication space. So I'm, I'm very, uh, and I've been learning a ton cause it's a fairly new industry and, and, and asset class. Absolutely. And it's, it's very fascinating too. Um, but it's like kind of what I do on, you know, my, when I have free time, it's like, it, you know, I enjoy that type of stuff and uh, I, I enjoy it, you know, again, even further diversifying, um, you know, my portfolio. But I, I guess I just would mention that is it, it, I've heard more and more people talking about it um, and just, you know, it's something that I personally have been exploring and we, we're definitely, you know, we want to be on the forefront of of what's to come. No, I, pr I appreciate that. I, I don't know that much about it. I'm, I'm curious about it and, and need to learn more about it. Um, people are definitely making good money in it. Um, and, and I've also heard, you know, we talked about liquidity in these syndication deals. Um, I've also heard that, you know, down the road, these syndications could be somehow tokenized where you can, you can actually sell out of your interest and in using the, you know, crypto um, where that, is interesting as well because then it takes away that neg kind of negative about, um, or it could be a positive, you know, if it save you from having selling at a bad time. Um, but that's a being able to oh, create the liquidity. That's a very important point, and that's something that we've already explored. It's still a little ways out, but like imagine if your investors, you know, had the ability to to unlock some liquidity in all the you know, limited partnerships they're in. Cause that's the one biggest thing I would say about 
being a limited partner is like, you can't really go to the bank because you don't own the whole asset and you can't really borrow against it. You can't get a line of credit. Um, but if you can tokenize it, like for example, like owning Bitcoin, it's something I, I invest in and you can borrow up to 70% of the value of Bitcoin in a tax-free, you know, loan to yourself for, you know, a few, you know, few percentage interest rate and, and, and do it without a bank and, and get that money instantly and go invest in real estate, more crypto. Um, you know, obviously that's a high, high leverage point, but like you could do 20%, 25%. Um, but yeah, that day will come where you're going to be able to do that with real estate. And it, I think it's going to be pretty amazing for investors when that's available, but it's already available in the crypto space right now. And you can literally, you know, leverage, not, not sell your asset. Cause you know, when you sell something, you're going to pay taxes on it. Right. So imagine if you can, right. you know, acquire some high quality assets, like I would say I put Bitcoin there and then never have to sell it or sell it 10 years from now, but you can borrow against it the, all the way through. I mean, I, Fidelity just came out with this about three weeks ago. They're offering this to their institutional clients. I mean, it's, it's becoming more and more mainstream. And that's what a lot of these early investors in Bitcoin who have made hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, they have not sold. They are just holding on to it and they're reaping the benefits of the price appreciation, but they're borrowing against it to go buy, you know, luxury homes, cars. I mean, they, and it's all tax-free and it's just, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, so that's kind of like, it gets me excited because, you know, there's just, I think more and more opportunity for investors out there. And, um, and, and so it's still very, very early though. And, um, and I think the combination of the two, like, you know, you get your traditional real estate and then you get the digital real estate, I, I think is going to be pretty fascinating because I think they're going to come together and unlock you know, so much potential and opportunities for, for many years to come. Absolutely. So what's the next big stretch goal for you? <laughs> oh man. Um, I feel like I'm stretching every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, God, I, I have a lot of goals, but it's like, um, you know, for me, it's, we've been growing like crazy. We've been so busy. I mean, honestly, like it'd be nice to, to be able to, to get a little bit more time back in my life. You know, I, I've been running hard for, for many years and, um, it, it's, uh, it, but it's, it's something I'm super passionate about. I absolutely love, but, but I definitely, you know, on, on the top of the list, it, you know, in the near future, it's, um, a vacation home somewhere for, for my family and I, it's a, we would love to have a place to kind of go and get away. And, and um, and so that, that's definitely going to happen at some point. Um, but that's kind of, uh, you know, something that we, we want to do. And, uh, we think it's important to have, you know, just, you know, some, some family, you know, time and have a place where you can kind of unwind. Um, but certainly I want to keep, you know, expanding the business. Um, you know, we don't need to be the biggest, I just want to do, you know, high quality deals, keep up with the demand. But, um, but I think just, you know, doing what we set out to do from day one, just help as many people as we can, you know, in this industry and create more awareness around real estate syndications. I mean, it, it's very fulfilling when you can, you know, see these deals go full cycle and these, these investors, these people that you care about, like they put a lot of faith and trust and, and to see, you know, it come back to them and they just get so excited and, and they're very thankful like that that to me is worth everything. And, um, and so that's, I agree. Really like I, I think it's a, a it's a way of serving, yeah. you know, you're, you're serving other people and helping them grow their wealth and they all have different needs for that, you know, whether it be retirement or whether it be college education or vacation home or whatever the case may be. So, um, that that's huge. Um, Hey, what do you like to do outside of work? So I love to, uh, be active. Uh, I like to ski, I like to golf. 
uh, play paddle tennis. Uh, it's kind of a, a winter league here, a sport in the, in the, you know, Chicagoland area. Um, yeah, obviously being a big baseball fan, I like, you know, uh, attending baseball games, sporting events. Um, awesome. so yeah, that, that's keeps me active. Love the outdoors. Fantastic. Uh, skiing Colorado or where do you, yeah, where do you go Colorado. skiing? Yeah, Colorado. I love uh, skiing out there. Grew up skiing in Colorado just with family trips and vacations. And so, um, yeah, Utah's a uh, you know, nice area too, but but primarily Colorado. Uh, we've got a few family resorts here in the Midwest that we'll, we'll take the kids to. That That's that, that's a lot of fun, but, but there's nothing like Colorado, in my opinion, with yeah. having access to all the resorts and being able to, you know, ski at some just some great great places. Fantastic. Hey, Ryan, if, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, they can just go to McKennaCapital.com. It's our, our website. And from there, that's usually, you know, the, the easiest way to contact me. We've got our um, investor club. If someone's interested in, you know, staying up to date with what we're doing, um, I try to, you know, post on all the different social sites. And so there's links and access to, you know, the various uh, sites on our website. Fantastic. Well, Ryan, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, man, I can't believe you're a GP in over 15,000 units. Um, also, it's very cool that you've diversified into these other asset classes and have um, listened to your investors and, and let them expand uh, with your company. So that's fantastic. Um, listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you and please share the show with a friend. <laughs>